We've been making our way through this kingdom living, this kingdom lifestyle uh, study. And uh, as we've done so, we've looked at many different aspects of it in going through this Olivet Discourse uh, of Jesus. Now, keep in remembrance what's taking place. He has been teaching and, and preparing his disciples. And at this moment, he is now preparing his disciples for his departure. He's getting ready to head out. He's getting ready to go uh, to the cross. And, and I guess you could even uh, kind of compare it to when Paul was in prison, getting ready to, uh, to face the chopping block. Uh, he wanted to make sure that Timothy knew. These were kind of his last words. He says, hey, Timothy, let me give you some encouragement. Let me tell you how you ought to be. And so when you read the, those latter portions uh, of, of Paul's writings and so forth, uh, so take, for example, in 2 Timothy, where he says to preach the word. He says, this is what you need to be focused on. And he's giving those instructions to Timothy. Well, here we have sort of what Jesus is trying to encourage his, his men. He's saying, guys, listen, this is how you ought to be. You've heard this. I want it this way. You've heard that. And this is the way you ought to be. And so he's taking these latter portions of, uh, of instruction and he's painting this picture using these word pictures. And we've seen parables, we've seen stories, and Jesus is trying to put some things out there for us and let us know what's going on. We've seen how the kingdom lifestyle is a lifestyle of humility. We've seen how the kingdom lifestyle is a lifestyle of submission. We've seen that it's a matter of honoring the king and keeping our focus on the, on the, uh, the son. It's not about the bride. It's not about the party. It's about the son that is getting married. It's about the, uh, the son of the king. And that this is what we've been trying to look at. We've seen obedience through all of this. And in the last few uh, services, we've noticed how this, this event is on its way. And Jesus is saying it's coming. It's closer now than it has ever been. 2,000 years later, it's not any further away, beloved. It is right at the doorstep. And so we come to this portion and I've entitled this one, Bleeding or Budding? And you'll see why here in just a moment. But I don't know about you, have you ever wondered why some in the church can be so kind while some others in the church look like they were weaned on a persimmon? Some people, you walk in the door, they give you a smile that lights up the room. Other people walk in the door and you look at them and go, ooh. And just cold chills go up your back, you know, because are you happy? I'm happy to be in church. Well, tell your face, you know. I, I don't know if you've ever wondered. And then you've got those people that you talk to them. How's everything going? Man, everything's great. I'm better than I deserve to be. I had one guy used to always say, as long as I don't get what I do deserve and I keep getting what I don't deserve, I'm in a good situation. Other people, you say, how you doing? Well, let me tell you. I, okay. You know, and then they, they, they air everything, right? And I don't know about you, but I've always kind of wondered. I mean, Christians are the people who are born again by the Spirit of God. They don't have the punishment of sin hanging over them anymore. They have a hope in heaven. They have Jesus Christ in their life. They are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. These ought to be the people that are the most joyful people on earth. Yet when we walk into church, it's like joyful, joyful, you know. And I've wondered myself, I've, I've really kind of scratched my head on this many times. That's why I'm bald. But I have, I've, I've always kind of been curious about this and wondering. You see, I'm the kind of guy that seems to always find myself getting involved. I'm one of those that can't listen to talk radio. 
You know, when you're listening to talk radio and you hear all the idiocy in our world today, I'm the guy that has to call in. And so I just don't listen to talk radio because I'm that moron that called in and extended the show an extra half hour. I'm that guy. It drives my wife absolutely nuts. Have you ever seen those shows where they purposefully do things? Usually it's like a news thing. They purposefully do things. Maybe they're treating a waitress badly or they're treating a customer badly and they want to see what other people's reactions are. And some people just kind of sit there and <laughs> but don't actually do anything. Other people try to step in and help the person. Yeah. You see, there's, there's something about this. If you've ever watched those shows, you'll, you'll see some of these things. And, and, and I'm the kind of person that I'm watching that going, you are one word away from me jumping down your neck. It just, it goes through me. And there's something Brother Dale read just a little bit ago from Colossians chapter 3 that, that comes to mind with this. And it's the statement, bowels of mercy, which can be translated, heart of compassion. A heart of compassion. Compassion, let me give you the definition for this, is a sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. This is compassion. And there are a lot of people that believe they're compassionate, but they really have absolutely no concern for the misfortune of others. And as a matter of fact, if, if we're honest, sometimes we see the misfortune of others and we go, they had that one coming. See, I, I'm, I'm sure some of you kind of feel the same way I do. You see a child scared in the store, and you're the one that wants to go over and grab the hand and find out what's going on, right? You see a homeless man that is hungry, and you want to feed them. You see the brokenhearted, and you just want to go give them a hug. Now, there are some people that see that and go, well, that's their problem, not mine. Let's just take just a minute before we get all excited, well, <laughs> you can go hug them. I ain't. I want us to look at the passage before us today. And let's just see what the heartbeat of God is in reference to that. Look with me if you would and stand if you wouldn't mind, please. For the, out of respect, not for me, but for the reading of the Word of God. Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to start reading in verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory... And all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as the shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, and the goats on the left hand. Pause for station identification. It is important to note this. He says that all the nations are gathered together and he's going to separate. That does not mean that if you belong to this nation, you're going to be on one side. If you belong to a different nation, you're going to be on the other side. He's saying he's bringing all peoples together, no matter where they're from. And he's going to separate out of that lump. He's not going to separate America, Israel, Germany, Russia. He's going to separate the people, the individuals, out of that whole group. In other words, everybody is going to be sorted, every living creature. Look at verse 33, and he shall set the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee unhungered? And fed thee, or, or thirsty, and gave thee drink. When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. One more pause before we go any further. Everlasting literally means everlasting. It's the same word that is, uh, is given to us, meaning forever. So those who believe that, that hell is temporary, I'm sorry, the Bible disagrees. This is an everlasting fire. Prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 42, for I was hungered and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger and ye took me, uh, took me not in. Naked and ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger or thirst? Or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them saying, verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not one of the least of these. Ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, at the end of this passage, at the end of this uh, verse number 46, you see the word eternal. You see the word everlasting. These are not, this is not the only place in the word of God that this is referenced. And so what we need to notice right off the bat is that Jesus is talking and I understand that he is using uh, some stories as he's leading up to this. He talks about the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and, and he introduces these ideas. Uh, but then when he gets to verse 31, I, I believe he's speaking a little more literally than he's speaking figuratively. Whenever we see the kingdom is like or the, it is such as or he spoke a parable unto them saying that's one thing but we don't read the metaphoric language here. He comes right out and he says when the son of man comes. Now he's making some notations about himself and he's drawing some conclusions here that would have been very specific to these people. If you were to, uh, to look back, and we've talked about this before, back in the book of Daniel, when you have the prophecy, the revelation of, of, of the uh, uh, Jehovah God coming down like as unto the Son of Man and establishing his rule and reign, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, gets their attention to let him know, I'm that God. And he's making a claim here, when the Son of Man comes, this is what he's going to be doing. This is what's going to happen. And so he starts to put all of this stuff out on the table. Now, it's important for us to note, again, as we have before, that there is one interpretation to Scripture, but there are several applications in Scripture. In order for us to rightly understand the passage, we must employ several Bible study tools. Uh, two main ones that we want to try to look at is, number one, we don't separate the passage from the rest of the context. 
Now, there have been some who have uh, taken this and they have removed the passage of Scripture, this, this portion of Scripture, from its immediate context and come up with some, uh, some differing theology uh, and, and some different ideas as far as what's actually being taught here. As long as we leave it where it's located, we get a pretty good view and a pretty good picture of what's going on. That's first and foremost. It's important to see the actual teaching that is represented, not isolate uh, one specific idea and ignore the rest. The second thing is to remember the audience. Remember the audience, who's speaking and who they speaking to. And this is one of the things that uh, is, is oftentimes overlooked whenever we see uh, something in Scripture and we don't necessarily understand. Uh, a couple observations that bring the importance of this into light. Uh, while this is a kingdom book, this is a book that was written uh, by a Jewish man to Jewish people. Someone who was very learned, very uh, uh, intelligent, wrote some things down. He, uh, he was very meticulous in the way he wrote it. This is the, Matthew, uh, uh, and he's writing to a group of people. He's trying to uh, speak to them. He's, he's noticing the things that Jesus is saying, and he's trying to bring them all together. Now, what we find in this specifically, it's important to see that the entire book and Bible, even though this was written to a specific group of people with a specific thought process in mind, does not mean it does not apply to us. Take 1 Corinthians, for example. Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians to a church who was doing everything wrong. And for us to look and say, well, that was applicable to them, not us we too could fall into the same traps if we don't take the lesson that they had to learn. It's kind of like if you had an older sibling that got a spanking and you watch and you're like, I ain't getting that. You learn from them. They did something stupid and you watch and you're like, I'm not going to do that either. This is sort of the idea. We need to be able to take all of Scripture and learn how to apply it to our lives. And so even though it was written to a specific group of people, specific problems and so forth, uh, the application can be made of us. And so some of the observations of this passage that I want you to note, look at verse 40. Verse 40, And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. One of these observations, this idea of brothers, the brethren, uh, there's been a lot of uh, conversation in many different um, uh, commentaries. There's, there's conversation as to what Jesus is referring to uh, in the idea of brothers and brethren. There's uh, some people believe that Jesus may have been talking specifically about the Jewish people, and this passage is in reference uh, to how we treat the nation of Israel. I, I, I don't agree with that. I don't think that that's the exact thing that he was going for. Uh, the idea then makes uh, people wonder if Jesus was referring in this passage to the way some uh, treat Israel. And if you treat Israel incorrectly, you're destined for an eternity of punishment. If you treat Israel right, then you're going to be able to enter in uh, as someone who is honored by God. I, I, don't, I don't buy that. What I believe here is Jesus is referring to the way in which those of his flock treated those who are struggling. Or maybe another way of saying this, this is a, uh, Jesus is referring uh, here to the way uh, those of his flock treated those whom he loves. I believe Jesus is referring more to the way in which his flocks, his flock, those of his flock acted and treated others, the down and outer, so to speak. 
He's trying to get an, an, a, a point across. You can apply this to the way in which people in the church treat other people in the church. Uh, l- let me ask you, ask it this way. Um, do you like it when someone treats your children poorly? I don't. I understand. I don't like it when those kind of things happen. Uh, I had, uh, I've had people in my counseling office uh, before, and they were just talking about how horrible they are and all their failures and all their shortcomings, and, and, and they don't like this about themselves. They don't like that about themselves, and they're this. They're that. And I said, can I ask you a question? And, and I remember as one person got, uh, got real teary-eyed when I got to this. I said, uh, what if I looked at you and I said, your kid is a moron? Just the dumbest kid I've ever met in my life. They're worthless. They don't know how to do anything. They don't know how to act. They don't know how to, and and they just, I I can guarantee you, your kid is so stupid that he he just, he can't do two plus two. He can't figure anything. How would you like it if I said that? I said, what would your reaction be if I said that about your child? He said, I'd probably come unglued on you. So then how do you think God feels when you say the things that you say about his child? How do you think God feels when you say that his child is worthless? His child is stupid. Are you his child? How do you think God feels when we treat the children of God as garbage and refuse? How do you think God feels when we act this way? How do you think God feels when we, when we, ha- when we roast one another, we treat one another as, as pieces of, uh, of scum that need to be scraped off the bottom of our shoe? How do you think God feels when we are unforgiving toward one another? How do you think God feels when uh, these, are your chi- these are his children? Would you take it from your children if your son and daughter uh, got, didn't get along and you're just like, well, that's just the way it is. I can deal with it. If your son walked up and spit in your daughter's face, would you put up with it? I think it's time for us to understand. God doesn't like the way we treat one another. Now, here's the danger. Here's the danger in that statement and statements like that. Everyone in here has the potential of thinking about how someone else has treated you or someone else that you love. But my question is, are you guiltless personally? Don't think about the other person. Don't think about what everybody else has done to you. Don't think about what everybody else has said about you or about someone you love. Think about you, yourself. Don't go down the road of, oh, he must be talking about. No, 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 beloved, please, please. You. You can't change me. I can't change you. I can't change the other people. You can't change the other people. But you can address yourself. And this is what Jesus is trying to drive home. He's he's trying to let us know. Don't worry about that. You need to be this type of individual. Think about it this way. I don't know if any of you have ever had fish. We've had fish. We've had a fish tank. Enjoyed that all of three months or whatever. Y'all that like fish, there's something wrong with you. I don't know. I mean, I love fish. Don't get me wrong. I, I love fish with tartar sauce. Those breadcrumbs, man. That's preacher. 
We like fish, right? And I, but I, I'll be honest, I, I like the look of fish. I think a nice fish tank, it looks good. Our fish tank, you couldn't see the fish. What's the point? Yeah. But if you have a fish tank, and say you have a fish tank full of goldfish, and it's thriving, and you're doing a good job. You're actually keeping it clean. You're actually staying on top of it, right? And the fish, everything's going great, looks wonderful. And you decide, I'm going to go get some more fish. And so you go to the pet store, and you buy yourself a bag of neon Tetras. And you bring those little Tetras home. And if you all know anything about fish, you know where I'm going with this, right? You take those Tetras, and you pour those Tetras, and they're pretty. And you look at them, and you're going, aren't they cute? Guess what's going to happen by tomorrow? Goldfish going to eat them. I think that's the way the church is sometimes. Our goldfish tank works great. And then we eat the people that get at it. We expect them to become a goldfish. We expect them to act our way. We expect them to do what we want to do. We expect them to get involved in what we want them to get involved. We expect them to assimilate. If you're a fan of Star Trek, you understand, we're not the Borg. It's not time to make them look like us. It's time for us to love on them. It's important to notice verse 32 as well. Look at this one. Before him shall be gathered all the nations... And he shall separate them from uh, one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. It was common for a shepherd to keep both the sheep and the goats together. It was a common practice back then. He would lead his flock and he'd have some goats and he'd have some sheep and he'd be leading the whole flock. And then when he got back to the sheepfold, then he would separate. Okay, we want the goats over here. We want the sheep over here. And he'd make sure to put them where they belong. You see, Jesus is making it very clear something that's going on right now. In his Olivet Discourse, he's trying to dispel some of the ideas of what those who claim to be part of the kingdom are, are like. The Pharisees had their rules and their regulations, but Jesus was trying to get them to understand that it wasn't about what a person did as much as the heart in it. He's trying to make it clear that your checklists of righteous acts do not make you right before God. It is your heart attitude that he wants. If you're going down the checklist, you've missed it. He doesn't want your checklist. He wants your heart. Beloved, you can live by the complete letter of the law and never know Christ. I... I Matthew 5 even addresses this. Jump back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, you have at the beginning there in the first 12 verses, all the Beatitudes, what we refer to as the Beatitudes. And this is part of his Sermon on the Mount. He gets into in verse number 13, the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? And then he talks about how it's just become worthless. But then you drop down to verse 17. Notice what he says here. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, this word uh, fulfill is the Greek word plerao, and, and what it's really insinuating, it means to satisfy. 
to verify, to finish. But another way of saying it, it gives the picture, this Greek word gives the picture of leveling up a hollow area. And so if you see, maybe it may be in your yard, there's a low spot that's constantly collecting water and you take dirt and you go out there and you pour, put the dirt down and you level it all out. You want to bring that up. There's something missing. There's a divot there and you want to fix that up. That's what this word means. Jesus is saying, you got this, you got, you got the law here. I didn't come to do away with it. I came to fix to fulfill, excuse me, to fulfill it. The part that you're not seeing, I'm trying to get you to see. The part that you're missing, I'm trying to level it up. If you drop down into verse 21 of, five, of chapter 5, notice what he says. We're going to look at just a few of these passages. 21, ye have heard that it has been said by them of old. Look at uh, verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time. Look at verse 31. It hath been said. Look at verse 33. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time. Look at verse 38. Ye have heard that it hath been said by the, uh, that it, it hath been said. Verse 43. Ye have heard that it hath been said. Over and over, Jesus saying, this is what you heard. Well, let me tell you what you're missing. This is what you heard. Let me tell you what you're not seeing correctly. This is what you heard. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. I'm telling you if you've done it in your heart. He's trying to help us to see. This is what you heard. This is the right way to look at it. And so over and over and over, he's, he's trying to reveal all of this to us. And he says, you've heard it this way, but I'm telling you the right way. And then he even confronts. If you, uh, if you jump over uh, to Matthew chapter 23. And he gets on to the Pharisees for messing all of this up for us. Look at Matthew 23, verse 23. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye, tithe, uh, ye pay tithe of mint and anise and, and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Judgment, mercy, and faith, these ought ye to have done and not leave the other undone. Your blind guides... You strain it a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they're full of extortion and excess. And then he continues to go on down all the way through to verse 36 there. You can read that on your own. But he calls them vipers who were only concerned with the things that people could see. The things that could be done externally. But they had lost focus on the heart. And Jesus said, these are the things you should have done automatically. He's not telling them, don't do that. He's telling them, do this first. Get this right. So now we find ourselves in the text at hand, back here in Matthew chapter 25. And I want you to notice just two main points First, talking about the kingdom life, the kingdom life is a life of action. It's a life of action. Beloved, the only thing that will keep you from having a relationship with the creator God is your willful ignoring of the invitation to follow Jesus. That's it. 
That's the only thing that's going to prevent. People have said before, well, I just don't have as close of a walk as you may have. That's not on me. That's on you. And if you're expecting a church or a pastor or a deacon or somebody to come along and give you some miraculous close walk with God, it ain't going to happen. You are rejecting the invitation of Almighty God. That's why people don't have a close walk with God. Well, I just, I don't, I don't enjoy reading the Bible. I, I just don't enjoy praying. I just don't enjoy Christian music. I just don't enjoy church. You're going to hate heaven. You're just going to hate heaven. I don't know why you want to go. Because that's what it's going to be. An eternity of hearing him talking to Him, singing to Him, walking with Him, being around people that love to sing about Him, talk about Him, walk with Him. That's going to be heaven. But the kingdom life is a life of, a life of action. In chapter 25, there are three main messages, and we've looked through this at its entirety now. The very first part of it, uh, was the kingdom of heaven like the ten virgins who took their lamps. The virgins who were left outside of the gate, and, and I want you to notice that there's a beautiful connection with all three of these. The virgins who were left outside of the gate were not left outside because of what they did. They were left outside because of what they did not do. Notice that. They did not bring enough oil. They did not prepare. The, the, the keeper of the gate didn't say, nope, because you did this, you can't come in. He said, because you didn't do this, you can't come in. And if you'll notice the same thing when you move forward into the kingdom of heaven, in verse 14, it's like a, tra a man traveling into a far country who called his servants, delivered unto them his goods. And you have this portion where you have the one man who had five talents, the next guy had two talents, and the other guy had one talent. The one talent guy was not cast out because of what he did. He's cast out because of what he didn't do. The, the, the master said, Take these talents, go use them. He buried a, dug a hole, stuck it in there, and did nothing. The master even called him lazy, slothful. And now we find ourselves right here in the final portion of this. And he, he brings judgment. And the, those that he judges, if you look, he says, uh, uh, verse 35, For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. But I want you to notice what he says to those on his left hand in verse 42. I was an hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you took me not in. Do you see what's happening? He's not going to cast them out and say, you're, you're not part of this flock because of what they did. It was because of what they omitted. It was what they weren't willing to do. These were not condemned for committing some grievous sin. 
they were condemned for omitting what they ought to have done. Murder will not keep you out of heaven. Rape will not keep you out of heaven. Robbery will not keep you out of heaven. Lying will not keep you out of heaven. What keeps us out of heaven and away from a relationship with God is rejecting His invitation. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Nope. Call unto me and I will answer thee. Nope. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Nope. The only thing that's going to keep you away from God is your rejection of His invitation. Don't ignore the invitation to follow Jesus. And then second, and this is where we're going to start to round toward home here, the kingdom life is a life of serving. It's, a, it's about seeing to the need of others rather than simply gaining more points. That's what it's about. Now, uh, the kingdom life here, there are simple things uh, that these simple things are typically the most ignored. They're typically the most ignored. And when I used to wait tables, one of the most common issues I found uh, that people would have a complaint or anything if their drink was empty. Yeah, I mean, and if their food was going to take, you found out that there's a problem in the kitchen, their food's going to take a little while, go get them extra rolls. Get them some extra chips, whatever they need. The most common issues that aren't being addressed are the small ones. But here's what's amazing. The way I knew what they needed, and this is deep. I used to wait tables. Some nights I made a killing, some nights I didn't. I'd go up and here's how you find out what they need. Do you need anything? You ask. Right? You don't assume. I wouldn't see somebody sit down at the table and go, got it, go in, put the order in, bring the food and drinks and set it down. All right, I got you a Coke. I got you a Dr. Pepper. I got, I got you a diet. Um, you get steak and taters. You get fried chicken. <laughs> salad. Um, yeah, I wouldn't do that. You go up and you find out what they need, right? What they want. So, I, as a pastor, sometimes I've, had, I've, I've figured out the biggest issue. Everybody wants something different. Everybody wants something different. If you look around on any given Sunday morning, what you want and what's highly important to you is not what's highly important to this individual over here. And what they want and isn't highly important to them is not what's highly important over here. And what we do is we focus on what we want and what's highly important to us and everybody else around needs to come to our way of thinking. And until you all figure it out like I have, you just ain't, you just ain't religious, are you? 
and what God is saying and teaching in this passage. Don't worry about you. Worry about them. Can you give up what you want so badly for the sake of everybody else? This person's thirsty. I know you're hungry, but this person's thirsty. I know you're, you're, you're filled, you're good to go, but this person over here, they need some loving. They need some care. I know you don't really care about that stuff and it doesn't mean a lot to you, but this person over here, and they need a change of clothes. This person over here is lonely. That's what we're to be doing. We can't be all things to all people, but can we take a moment to quit trying to be all things to ourselves? I want you to notice, because we need to use caution here, many people start to make doing for others their righteousness. I don't do for others to gain righteousness. I do for others because of what He has done for me. A lot of people, they, they approach it. Think about it this way. If you look down here at verse 44, Then shall they also answer Him, saying, Lord... When saw we thee in hunger or thirst, a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto you? What are you talking about? I never saw that. What did he say? You didn't do it to them. So you didn't do it, for, you didn't do it to me. Well, if I'd have known it was you, I would have done it. Whoa. There's the confession of the heart. You know, if you find that someone misses people singing happy birthday to them, go sing happy birthday to them. If you find that somebody needs something, go help them. We're going to go through these last few slides pretty quickly. There's just too much to put on one slide. So kids, get your pens ready. Here's what I want to kind of point out with all of this. Jesus points out that the heart of the kingdom of God and the kingdom citizen is one who is willing to do for others. He says in verse, uh, uh, verse 32, he says, Before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from his goats. Let me tell you a little bit about goats and sheep. Goats, number one, are independent animals that are curious and hard-headed. Sheep, on the other hand, are flocking animals that grow to depend on one another. Are you a goat or are you a sheep? That's really the question. We, we think that it is our job to go out and find the right people, right? No, it's not. I want us to understand something that every single one of us have probably struggled with at some point in time or maybe struggle with right now. There will be a day when God will gather everyone together. And this will take place uh, right at the end there and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. There will be a separating right down the middle. Color Locate, uh, 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 geographical location, creed, uh, gender, none of that matters. The only thing that's going to matter is are you a sheep or are you a goat? That's what's going to matter. 
Good, evil. Sheep, goat. Compassionate, heartless. Child of God, unsaved. That's the only line. Just the two. But the reality here is in the separation. This is the reality. In the separation that Jesus will one day separate the sheep from the goats. Now again, we think for some reason it's our fault or our, our, our job to go out and find the sheep. And we, you know, we bring someone in, wait, wait, yep, you're definitely a sheep. You're just like the rest of us. Hold the phone. What if the most of us are goats? Do you really want to use us as the determining factor? I'm here to tell you, you don't want a lot of Andy Lakes in your church. That'll make a pretty poor church. It's not our job to get the right people or to help them become what we think they need to be. The, uh, if you've been watching The Chosen, one of my favorite scenes in every episode of The Chosen, and all of it, is the one where Peter finally decides to follow Jesus. And Jesus is talking to him. Watch this clip. Go ahead and play that for me, Josh. Fish are nothing. You have much bigger things ahead of you, Simon, son of Jonah. Did you understand that parable I told earlier? From now on, I will make you fishers of men. And you are to gather as many as possible, all kinds. I will sort them out later. It's not your job to sort them out. It's your job to catch them. He'll sort them out later. But you're going to be part of that sorting. You're going to be one of the ones that's sorted later. And which side are you going to be on? Are you going to be with the sheep? Or are you one of the goats? Are you growing a dependency on him? Or are you butting heads with him and his word? Listen, as a church, what are we doing to ensure that the new fish that are coming are cared for? Are we waiting for them to assimilate to our way of thinking? Or are we seeing what they need so that they can assimilate to his way of thinking? There's a difference. There is a difference. Because, beloved, until we meet him, you have not fully assimilated to his way of thinking. And so before we go making carbon copies of ourselves, we need to work to make carbon copies of him. No more of this, what I want. It's what he wants. Uh, too many people assume what other people need, but you're never going to know until you get to know them and ask them. So how can we apply this personally and individually? Well, number one, as a body, 
we need to strive to help those in need. I'm not talking about people who are poor, people who don't have enough money, people who don't, don't have enough food. That comes with it. But there's someone in this church today who needs love. There's someone in this church today who is lonely. There's someone in this church today who needs an encouraging word. They're depressed. They're anxious and they need someone to grab them by the hand and pray with them. There's someone in this church today who has been struggling to understand God loves them. There's someone in this church today who needs someone to open up the Scriptures and show them how they can know Jesus Christ. Are you willing to be that person for them? Are you willing to do that? And individually... Examine yourself. Are you preparing or are you one of those like the five virgins who didn't prepare? And they're going to be on the other side. Are you using what God has given to you? Or are you going to be cast out? And last, this is all evidence just like how we treat one another is evidence. It's not your salvation. You treat someone good, doesn't mean you're going to be saved. A lot of good people who aren't saved. But it's evidence. What's your heart attitude toward it all? Are you trying to use what He's given you? Are you prepared? Are you truly one of His sheep? Or are you going to find when He comes and separates you're not over here with the sheep like you thought you were going to be. You're actually one of the goats. Jesus talked about it. Matthew chapter 7, He said, Many say to me that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in Your name? Do many wonderful works. We even cast out demons in Your name. And He'll say, I never knew You. He didn't say, I used to know You and You lost it. I never knew you. What about you? Are you one of His? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the privilege that it is to be part of Your sheepfold. Father, I even thank You for the privilege that You give to the goats to be part of the sheepfold. And Father, that they are at least getting opportunities to hear that perhaps they are not one of the sheep. Perhaps they have not truly trusted You. Father, You've given to them opportunity after opportunity to come to know You as Savior. So Father, if there are any here today who, who they're wrapped in their own rags of religion, but they don't know You, would you grab a hold of their heart, squeeze their very soul, and Father, call them to repentance and faith. Father, uh, I'm so grateful that you have provided for us salvation through your Son's blood. The sacrifice that He gave pays for it all. And You call us to You. You invite us to a right relationship with You.
Father, thank You for that. We don't deserve it, but You give it to us. You offer it. Father, so many of us that call You our, our Heavenly Father don't actually uh, take for granted what You have given to us. Instead, we look upon it as if it's nothing. But You give us Your Word which tells us everything that we can handle about You. You give us the power and privilege of prayer. Of prayer. You give to us a church family where we can come together. We can worship. Father, we make so much about us. God, spur in our hearts and prick in our hearts a desire to make it about You and then to serve others and by doing so, serving You. So Father, during this time as we pray and we sing the praises of God, once more this morning, would You speak to our hearts Use the music that we sing unto You and use our prayer, Father, to truly drive us to our knees to a willingness to follow You. Save some. Call some to repentance. Revive our hearts. We'll be very careful to praise You for it, Lord, because it's You and You alone who deserves that attention. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen.